Good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Trevor Allen. For those that don't know, I'm the di- uh, <laughs> I'm the discipleship director here at Columbia Presbyterian Church. Uh, we're going to be taking a little detour from our series through the Book of Acts, and we're going to be jumping into Ezra just for a little one-off sermon here. Uh, if you need help finding Ezra, it's before Psalms, but after Chronicles. So if you've hit Psalms, you turn. Come on back. Uh, This will be our reading of God's word today. So listen now to the words of the God that he has given to us for the rebuilding of his people and for the establishment of his kingdom. From Ezra chapter five, verses one through two. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our great Father, you have given these words to your people, not only to instruct us on what we are to believe concerning you or what duty you require of us, but rather you've given these words as promises. You've sent your son, the eternal word, in the flesh to rebuild a people for your own possession. You've come to give us peace with you and peace with each other. We thank you that you hear our cries. We thank you that you see us in our affliction and do not abandon us. So now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illumine our ears to hear your word, our eyes to see your word, our hearts to believe your word, so that we may go and live according to your word. And it is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I don't know how well acquainted everyone is with their ancient Near Eastern history or your Old Testament timeline. Um, So... Just to let you know, the passage we have read has basically airdropped us into a massive problem in Israel, a very big problem. And this problem that the people here in this passage are facing is actually a similar problem that the people of God today face as well. And so if we have this problem, we are in desperate need of a supernatural solution. Thankfully, the, I don't know if you guys remember, I like to do big ideas when I preach. And so this morning, our big idea is the solution to this big problem. And this is the big idea. That the presence of Jesus is the peace of his people. The presence of Jesus is the peace of his people. The presence of Jesus is the peace of his people. And so we are going to spend some time exploring this big idea as we look through Ezra chapter 5. First, we're going to look at the big problem. And then second, we're going to see that this ultimate solution is found in none other than Jesus himself. And my prayer this week for you, church, is that you would remember our big idea that you would rehearse this big idea, that you would tattoo the promise of this idea on your hearts, that you would remember frequently the beauty that Jesus is the peace of his people. So what we're going to do is just jump feet first into the deep end. Uh, Roughly around 589 B.C., To about 536 BC, the offspring of Israel were brought into exile. And the reason for it is because they quit listening to the word of God. 
They quit abiding in the loving, life-giving message that Yahweh gave to them, and they began to listen to other gods. But exile didn't just come overnight. God kept sending them prophets. He sent them Jeremiah. He sent them Ezekiel. He sent them Obadiah. And he was trying to get the people to listen to his word again, to turn their hearts from idol worship back to Yahweh. Instead of heeding God, what the Israelites did was they doubled down and they began to devote their hearts to the storm god Baal instead. And instead of going to the temple to worship Yahweh, to worship God, what they did was they went to the Asherah poles of the pagan priests where they had orgies and drunkenness together. They forgot about God. They quit listening to him. And so what the Lord did was he sent the Babylonians. He sent the Babylonians in to discipline and to displace little Israel. The Babylonians came in and destroyed the people. The Babylonians came in and destroyed the walls. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the very place that the people of God were to go worship God himself. But in his great grace and in his faithfulness to his promises, God sent this other pagan king, the king of Persia, King Cyrus. Cyrus came in and he took over Babylon. And as he's looking over his new kingdom, his new creation, his new conquered land, he saw this little tiny country. He saw the Israelites. And so I want you to remember, church, that Daniel writes about this, that that Daniel says he changes times and seasons, that God himself removes kings and sets up kings for his glory and for his plan. So with these changing kings, King Cyrus actually releases little Judah and he says, go back to Jerusalem. And he doesn't just release this little country, he sends them with gold and silver. He sends them with wood and salt. He sends them with iron and with transports to say, go back and reestablish that city. Rebuild those walls. Begin to worship Yahweh once again that you would be able to commune with your God and you are able to commune with each other as the people of God. Now that little jog through his, if if somebody, you know, fell asleep when I said 589 BC, go ahead and nudge him and wake him back up. You know, we did that little jog through history, but the purpose of that was to bring you to the place of our passage. That's where we are right now. We, so imagine with me for a second, that we in this room are the surrounding nations where Israel is coming back to. For 70 years, these 12 tribes have been gone in exile, so we've taken over this land. This is now our land, and we know that once this people gets back, that they will establish new walls. That once this people gets back, they will establish a new city. When this people gets back, they will begin worshiping God once again. And we don't want that to happen because if that happens, then they will begin to flourish and then they will get strong. And then what they're going to do is get so strong that they actually end up displacing us. 
So what we need to do is bring destruction to them. We need them to cease the rebuilding. We need to take away their peace so the only thing that they are focused on is their survival and not the advancement of their kingdom that they talk about. And in fact, that would be a good plan because that's exactly what happens in Ezra chapter four, verses seven through 16. You see that the surrounding nations, they come together and they send this letter to the new king that's established. And they tell him, please do not let this people build anymore because they will become strong. And ultimately when they become strong, they will displace us. And then once they displace us, oh great king of the nations, you are next. So we actually, in Ezra chapter four, we get to see the response of the king. I would encourage you to read Ezra and Nehemiah sometime if you haven't. The, the response of the king, the actual letter of the king is in this book from Ezra four seventeen to 24. And essentially the end part of this letter says, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now think about this for a minute. The nation is released from exile. They're able to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding, and they are literally rebuilding with a cement trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And they are so grieved by the aggression of these surrounding nations that ultimately this king and the nations tell them to quit building. It says in the Hebrew that they were forceful, that the letter was forcefully and strongly delivered to them. It wasn't just a, hey, stop it if you want to. This was sent by a military uh, cohort that delivered this letter to them. How crushing would that feel? Can you guys feel that right now, even thinking about this? Do you personally, personally know that feeling of political turmoil mixed with an anxiety where a culture around you is raging against the God of heaven? Can you right now even look around this room and see the little ones sitting here among us and wonder what is their future going to look like? What is their children's future going to look like? Do you relate to the fact that death tolls are rising? That disease is rampant? That there are military movements taking place that we don't know how they will end? you see the lack of economic and social stability in your culture. It feels almost like you're holding this sense of peace in your hand, but it's like grains of sand falling through your fingertips and you want to hold on to it. And the tighter you want to hold on to this stability and this peace, the tighter you grab, the faster the sand seems to fall. And those are just the external things happening, are they not? What about in your own heart? What about those lingering sins that you keep going back to? The sexual immorality, the, the lust, the, the stealing, the anger, the bitterness, the gossip that keeps plaguing your soul. 
And then you struggle with doubts and depression yourself. You think, is there actually a God? And is there actually a God that would come to earth and become a human and then get crucified and then get resurrected for me? Do you sometimes doubt that truth? Does it feel like a fairy tale to even think about peace? Does it, think, does it feel like Aesop's fables when you think about joy? If we talk about it for too long, we'll probably just all start weeping and, and talking about like what our years were like. But I'm certain of this, that, that these emotions that we feel right now, the Israelites felt during this time of Ezra in Ezra chapter five, that during this time, we feel the same way that they felt. But even with our big idea this morning, does our big idea kind of feel like a Christian platitude that belongs on a coffee mug or you know, has some scroll lettering that we hang up in our kitchen where it's kind of a nice thing to think about, but it's not actually true? That the presence of Jesus is the peace of his people. Is that actually true? What do the people of God need? What do we need? What is our solution? Look with me, church, back again at the word of God in Ezra chapter five, verses one and two. It says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and in Jerusalem and in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. The God of the heavens who sets up the kingdoms of the world, who tells lightning bolts where to go, the same God that controls the powerful ocean and causes people to live and people to die, this same God, what he does is he sends his prophets to the people. That is the solution. He sends these two men, these prophets, to the people and he doesn't arm them with swords and chariots. He doesn't arm our deacons and our elders today with F-16s and uh, you know, nuclear submarines. Rather, God, who is ever present with his people, as this passage says, he sends his word through his prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And you can actually read the prophecy that he gives to them. There are two books in the Old Testament called Haggai and the other is called Zechariah. I would encourage you to read those and think about in context, what is the message that God would deliver to these people in such a time as this? And the message, since we don't have time to read those right now, the message is essentially this. The prophets are calling the people back to devote their hearts to the worship of God himself. The prophets are calling the people back to devote themselves to equity, to loving and caring for one another. The prophecy is calling them to not only seek the security and hope of the city, but to seek the security and hope that is God. God is telling them that he is the one who will restore. He is the one who will reconcile. He is the one that will bring peace and bring joy back to his people, not a military conquest. 
And notice this, that as the, the prophecy came to the people, those who were influenced first, those who were restored first, were actually those that would lead the people in restoration and reconciliation. So that by God's grace, once again, he would call the leaders of Israel back to himself and then they would begin the work of restoration and that they would call and encourage and bring the people along with them. The prophets had on their hearts and in their lips this message of restoration of God. If you notice in the passage, God motivated the man named Zerubbabel who is actually the rightful heir to King David. He is this kingly figure that is hearing the words of God and is now organizing the people again. And if you look at Jeshua, he is the high priest. He is the one that would lead the people once again in proper worship. He would be there on the day of atonement to offer a cleansing sacrifice on behalf of the nation so that they would be reconciled and made right with God once again. Zerubbabel and Jeshua are called back for this organization and this deliverance of the people of God. And so these prophets and this priest and this king, they're all motivating the people of God to do the work of God to advance his kingdom. And the thing that is supporting them, the thing that is nurturing them is the very word of the prophets come from God himself. And if you know this, Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament are actually one book. We separate them, but they're actually one book. So to continue the story, what you see in uh, 17 chapters later in Nehemiah chapter 12, you actually get to see that the people listened to God. Finally, they listened to him. They heard what he said, and so they rebuilt the walls. And so they worked together to rebuild the temple and they were able to worship once again. Read Nehemiah 12. It will be one of the most encouraging things you do this week to see the people come back together again and to, to worship God. And I wish that Nehemiah had stopped at Nehemiah 12 and that there wasn't a Nehemiah 13. Because what happened was in Nehemiah 13, the people became so prosperous that they felt like they did not need the word of God anymore. They walked away from God. Their wicked hearts turned from God once again and they went their own way to worship the gods and to not listen to what the Lord had called them to do. The word of the Lord coming through this powerful preaching of the prophets the word of the Lord that is organizing these people to rebuild the temple through that kingly person. The sacrifices that are taking place in the temple by this high priest were not enough. The people cycled back through their sin again. And I am so thankful that that is not the end of the story because if it were, I would say that there is no hope for any of us that the most mature Christian in this room, there is no hope for you and the rest of us, there's no point in even coming back next week. If the Bible ended at Nehemiah chapter 13, but these are shadows of things to come. These are, this is to build our anticipation to ask the question, who can actually do this? Is there someone that can fulfill this ultimate priesthood, this ultimate prophet, this ultimate king? And the answer is yes, this person comes. 
in Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God that came down and took on flesh and is now our true prophet. He is our kind priest. He is our sovereign king. Friends, look to Jesus today in the midst of your woes and in your chaos and in your struggles. Listen to him. Pick up your Bible and read. Come to church and hear the word being prayed, the word being sung, the word being proclaimed, the word being professed once again, for this is the true nutrition of our souls. I would encourage you to go to the book of John, the gospel of John, and read about this. In the first 18 verses, John tells us about this word that becomes flesh, that is the ultimate prophet for his people. In John 1.18, it says that Jesus exegetes the Father, meaning Jesus tells us about the Father, not from uh, a word come down, but from personal, eternal, communal experience. Read about Jesus as your ultimate prophet in John. Or flip over to the book of Hebrews where you see Jesus is splattered across the pages as our high priest, as this one who's making continual intercession for you and for me. So those days that you were so depressed that you cannot peel your head up off the pillow or those days that your eyes are so hot with tears that all you can do is mumble, Jesus is your high priest that makes continual intercession for you. He brings your needs and your heart and your desires and your reconciliation and your peace. He brings those things to the throne room of grace. Where else in the world would you rather be than at the throne room of grace, than at the feet of God the Father himself and Jesus makes way to take you there as your high priest? And if you want to see Jesus as your true king, turn to the book of Revelation and read that thing in one sitting and you will see that Jesus is this conquering king that will come on this horse and he will have the name King of Kings written on his leg and he will conquer the nations. He will bring peace to you as the king that this king Zerubbabel could not do for the people in Ezra chapter 5. Church, no matter where you are in your life right now, I can say with full confidence and assurity that the antidote, the salvation, the reconciliation, the rebuilding of your very soul will come through Jesus Christ himself. So I would say, run to the word of God. Remember it. Listen for the word of God. Trust in these promises that God has given to us as his people, and we will see Jesus as our perfect prophet. We will see him as our powerful king and we will see him as our kind high priest. For everything else in this life will bring about disparagement and emptiness and only Jesus can deliver this reconciliation because you know what, church? God is no longer building a wall made of bricks for us to be behind, to be secure in. He's no longer gathering stones and gold and pomegranate for us to go worship in a temple, but rather Jesus himself is building up his people with his true word. We are the temple of God as the people of God. 
He is nourishing us and he is building us up in the same way that he nourished the prophets, priests, and kings in the old times. He is now doing this. That was a shadow of things pointing to our present reality. And I'll tell you, Peter says it better than I ever could. The apostle Peter writes in his little epistle, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is our ultimate hope, church, that we will one day be built up into this beautiful nation, this this temple where true worship is taking place. But even now, I will remind you that the presence of Jesus is the peace of his people. Remember that this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've made a way for us to truly worship you once again. I thank you that the fear of the Lord is clean and that we remember your words, that your words are more precious to us than silver and gold and even much fine gold. That we find in you, Jesus, the very words of life that bring reconciliation to our souls. Lord, be with us as we read our Bibles and we can't remember these things. When reading our Bibles becomes mundane and monotonous, Lord, let us remember that as we read these very words, these words of the prophets and the priests and of the kings and of the apostles, Lord, that you are building us up even in those mundane moments, Lord, that feels so distant from our souls, you are building us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you this week bring in us a revived love and desire for your word and that you would continue to build your church and build your kingdom. Pray these things in your name, amen.